0: I'm Scott Michael Shotgun with McLeod Bethel-Thompson, and this is the Athlete Purpose Beyond Sport podcast.
1: Hello and welcome everyone to the Athlete Podcast. We're back with Scott Shotgun and McLeod Bethel-Thompson for another week. I'm super excited about this episode. We've had had a bunch in a row, man. We've been knocking them out. This one I'm really juiced about, though. So uh, before we get started, as we always do, I want to bring an ancestor of sport into our space to bless our space and to open it up for wisdom and guidance and this week in honor of our guest one of the greatest of all time in Junior Seau. Um, I just watched his documentary this last week Um, it was it's it's a tough watch I'm not gonna lie but um, everyone knows Junior Seau you know what I'm saying All-American at USC 12-time pro bowler man of the year in in 1994 phenomenal athlete but what really sticks out to in in Junior's life was his ability to impact people and everyone that kind of played with him and and cross paths with him was his ability to just make them feel seen and be present and to kind of transform their life in no matter how small a time they had with him, And I think in, that, in light of that um, is why I brought him into the space for our guest this week, which is uh, Jeremiah Masoli. And uh, we're super honored to have him this week. If Everyone knows probably Masoli, but if you don't, uh, grew up in San Francisco. Um, and that's where I kind of first heard of him. At that time, and, and he's basically done any, everything you can in, in the sport of football. Uh, dominated, played, and excelled at every single level he's touched. Um, craziest highlight you probably find in the whole world is City College highlights um, in San Francisco City College. I mean, people still gawk and awe at that. At that, um, going on to become, he's on the Sports Illustrated, the cover of Sports Illustrated, Heisman running, Davy O'Brien runner, uh, gone on to play in the SEC played in the NFL has now gone to the CFL and and every week we play in the CFL I make sure to watch his game and tap in because it's it's there's always going to be a highlight Um, but what really seemed like with say how with with Jeremiah which really struck a chord with me is once I got to know him I actually met him in in 49ers training camp in 2011 so I'd always heard of him growing up and been compared to him and well, you ain't as good as Masoli is down the street. I'm like, you know, okay, but I'm still trying, you know what I'm saying? But meeting him in, in 2011 and getting to know him as a person and then going forward and meeting his family and meeting his – now his family that he's created in the time, it's, I've just been absolutely blown away and have honored to have him in my life as a person, as an as a example of what it is to be a man, what it is to be a football player. It's just he's a shining light, and he makes me be better every day. So honored to have Jeremiah here, and uh, welcome to the show. Oh man, I appreciate
2: it, man. Appreciate the kind words. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Super excited. Like you said, man, I'm, I'm glad to be here.
1: Scotty, start us off. Jeremiah,
0: man, you're up in uh you're up with the Hamilton Tiger Cats right now up in uh up in the CFL. What's what's that been like? What's the transition been like for you from the regular outdoor game, the NFL field, the college field to playing up in the CFL on their big crazy field?
2: Yeah, man, that's that's a a long, long answer question. But like it's just been such a long time up here that uh, that I've I've almost become acclimated to just being, you know, the CFL rules in the field. But I remember when I first got out here, uh, my first year in Edmonton, it was it was definitely a whole new world. Just remember taking like my first snap and not seeing any of the receivers at the line of scrimmage you know, just kind of like worried if if they're even going to be there when I snap the ball from from basic things like that to, you know, like different rules. I swear I'm learning a new rule every year still to this day. And then um, like just even like a five yard flat could be like a 40 yard throw. You know, it's just it's just a different ball game up here as far as the the geometry and the trajectories of all this stuff. But I mean I wanna
1: delve into this too, because like this is a position that we both play and we both see in a very different realm. And and we both learned to play the game in San Francisco. And I feel like and I'm not sure about this, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we both learned in a very organic manner. Like I didn't play organized football and and the majority of my experience as a kid was just playing ball on the street, like just at the park with picking up a ball and just having a catch. And I think that's what something that's so dynamic in the CFL game is that you could potentially the normal, the base set in in Canadian football is three receivers to your right and two to your left and a single back in the backfield. But because there's high motion, because all those people can be motion, you could potentially have two guys come behind you and then three guys return in that other direction. So the defense is very, like, amorphous and changing always. And so I wonder, like, do you think your success in the CFL, your ability to, like, make sense out of chaos – has was a result like helped you because of the way you learned the game and maybe just talk about a little bit like your first experience with football and like were you ever told to read coverage or did you just play Man, that's a that's an interesting question I never
2: really thought about that as far as like you know that thinking that far back to when I first started playing to kind of how you're saying the defenses are just always changing and it is kind of like a a backyard you know I'm saying schoolyard game uh come to think of it (laughs) that's pretty much it but uh yeah, like, well, I'll just start with how I first started. Um, you know, my, my dad obviously was a football player. He actually played for Coach Rush at City College of San Francisco way, way back, and uh, he got hurt or whatever and, and didn't make it. But, um, you know, he, he kind of – he was the one that really instilled, like, the love of the game and just watching, you know, some of the great 49er games and just having those memories with him. That kind of made me wanted to, want to pursue that. And, um and then just growing up in the neighborhoods, you know what I'm saying, whether it was my family or my cousins to just the kids on the block, we would – you know, somebody would always be outside playing some some type of sports. So that's where it first started. And and actually, like, really, that's really where, like, I, I feel like I get a lot of my toughness because, like, we was playing tackle on, on the, you know, grass or cement. It didn't really matter. It was just fun, you know, at that point. So that's um, – that's kind of like the start of it. But I did play for the San Bernard Rams for sure uh, from like fifth grade to eighth grade.
1: So that's when you started in fifth grade with tackle? Yep.
2: You yep. I was, I was didn't... headed up.
1: Yeah, I, was headed, I had
2: to play up. I had to play up with all the big kids and I was getting, oh. I, was getting smacked. <laughs> I was getting smacked by all the other kids. Cause, uh, but we had, you know, we had a bunch of Samoans and Tongans over there. We was basically known just for, for hitting people. But um, that's kind of where my, because I started as a, a nose tackle, left guard, fullback to middle linebacker and safety, and then uh, my last two years I got to play quarterback and uh, but, like everything on on the field. So,
0: great. So you mentioned something. You talked about you. You said just a love of the game. And you talked about adopting that a little bit from your pops when your dad. Yeah. <laughs> describe for us a little bit what that love is. Like what, what sort of connection to, to the world, the world around you do you feel from, from playing the game
2: of football? Yeah. Um, obviously like, you know, growing up, seeing the games on TV, seeing how everybody kind of looks up to the, to the people, um, you know, obviously it kind of starts there as a kid. You don't even know it. You're just, you know, drawn to the game. And then, um, like I said, my dad was, you know, like my uncles, all his cousins, they would always be bragging to me growing up as a kid about how good my dad was. You know, supposedly he was supposed to be really good. He actually went to Woodrow Wilson out there in the city and graduated from there. I can't remember what year, but um, they almost went undefeated. And uh, I want to say they lost to Balboas when he when He hey, got. been
1: <laughs> in the 70s when Balboa the had them rolling team.
2: Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, he always said Balboa was good when he was playing. Um, but yeah, um, just just that. I mean, you know, obviously the the relationship that you build um, within the team, you know, the the just that that aspect of the team sport kind of you don't really get that a lot of other places. I find, especially growing up, um, where you got you know forty fifty kids all kind of sharing the same experience. It's it's kind of something special on its own. So you know that that always drawn me to to sports and, and football in general.
1: I want to, I want to talk a little bit about like identity in that way. And like, it's interesting you mentioned Balboa, like, because in my, my youth experience was a little different. Like I didn't play, I wasn't allowed to play as a kid. So I had to beg my mom. I was a, a baseball, soccer, kind of basketball, a little bit guy. And I begged my mom for like five years straight to let me play tackle football. And she held out, she held out until sophomore year of high school and I went to Balboa. And so like this idea of like, I played for a bunch of teams, you know, in this process, but my identity like who I am as a football player, I still feel like I'm a baobo Buccaneer, and it's interesting to hear that lineage because, like, it's it, we have. I mean, Balboa at the time was bad news Bears football. We were. I mean, I remember my first year on JV. I, people were running off the uh, the, the sideline, handing helmets to other people, and they run back on. And like when I got moved up to varsity uh, right away, and I played, like, I got my own helmet. You know what I'm saying? Like, there there was, there was no there was no structure there but the lineage was strong. Like there was a feeling that like Bow had been playing ball forever. The great teams from the seventies, the big, great hoop teams from the nineties, like Bow had a strong lineage. So like when I identify myself as like my core as a football player, I'm a Buccaneer. And I just wonder like, do you have that same identity or is it family? Where, where do you find that core of the sport? I love that,
2: man. When, when you talk about just that tradition and culture that you're a part of, that that history it's i love that um and i've been blessed because of all the places i've been like sometimes i don't even i can't even it, to me it's like I, it it wasn't even real like as far as uh, being able to go to sarah you know what i'm saying just because my dad was on me about my grades and kind of helped me to find to get some academic kind of scholarship i was able to get into sarah and uh play over there which obviously you know some some really good players came out of there and then uh from there I went to St. Louis.
1: Tom Brady, maybe, uh, Tom, I don't know how to <laughs> say Bride, Bride, I, some, Brady, something like that. Yeah, him,
2: Lynn Swan, Brady, uh, Barry Bonds. <laughs> you know. Yeah, dogs. Yeah, and, um, you know, just some Bay Area legends, so, I mean, I'm just glad I was able to walk those halls, and there's definitely some tradition there in what <clears throat> what Sarah represented, as far as, like, their football team, and what they were preaching, you know, the brotherhood and all that, but. I also went to my senior year, I transferred to Hawaii and I was able to play high school for St. Louis. And, um, I mean, St. Louis is kind of a, a story program over there in Hawaii too, that just a powerhouse that wins, you know, state championships all the time. It's kind of like daylight South of the Bay Area, but I definitely feel a strong sense of connection to, you know, both my high schools, but especially St. Louis, you know, I made a lot of really lifelong friends that I still talk to to this day. and. Um, like, you know, I moved out there with my dad and just kind of, like, going through that struggle a little bit. It kind of, you know, brought us together closer. And, you know, I, I always cherish those times. And it kind of left – but the football aspect of it, because, you know, my dad – me and my dad was always – sorry if I'm just rambling here, but
1: – You're nailing it. That's like, what it's about. We just, we live in. the in. For... I don't know if our viewers will
2: be. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, you know, me and my, my dad, he was always – uh. When I, even when I was in Hawaii, like we do nothing but just, you know, get better every day. And even after practice, you know, he'd take me to the high school down the street and we'd still be going after every day. So um, I definitely feel a strong sense of connection to them. Um, and then but also, you know, after that I was able to go to City College of San Francisco where uh, you know, there's a lot of legends that came out of there too and their history, you know, story program too from from way back to, to the OJ Simpson days, you know. And, uh, it's just a privilege to be able to kind of even try out for that team. I know like like the culture around that was, was on a whole other level than, you know, I really ex- experienced anywhere else. And uh, to back that up a little bit, like my junior year when I was at Sarah, I'd be practicing with City College every summer because they had like some kind of PE credit stuff.
1: Same thing at Bell, yeah. You got one unit of college credit for doing lifting weights at City College, yeah
2: right, so I was able to but I was able to throw on the field with those guys, and that kind of made me grow up a lot faster than I was ready for um you know i was, I was definitely intimidated my my first you know two three times throwing thrown to those uh those city college guys when I was in high school, but anyways yeah I, I was able to go to city college and uh you know my first year I gray shirted was kind of um getting you know working hard getting my game together and um I had a I had a pretty good season over there, and um, we won the national championship. And, and I went to Oregon, and the history, the rest was history. But you know, I feel a real strong connection towards if I had to pick any of those schools, it'd probably be the City College of San Francisco.
1: Hmm. Okay, I'm, before I know, I'm cutting because Scott has a list of questions, but I'm I'm, I'm too I'm too locked in right now. <laughs> I have a question about you mentioned two things: tradition and culture, um, and like. What was, if you can identify, I don't even know, you can go back to but like at the same level that like the difference, I'm, what I'm most interested about sport is the way it evolves culture. And like the way Dr. J changed basketball forever, the way, you know, Michael Jordan again changed basketball forever, the way um, um, Michael Vick changed the, the football game forever, you know what I'm saying? Like how players evolve it and like, but it's also built and it goes the other direction. So the mm-hmm. first question, and then I'll follow with the second question. You answer both at the same time, like between Sarah High School, and, which is in the Bay Area, California, and St. Louis High School, which is in Hawaii, like how was the game different? How was or was the game the same and the people that played it differently? Was the style different? Was there culture around it that made the, the game a different game? Um, and then how did you evolve and fit that, that situation? And then the same question for like City College, which is a junior college in the Bay and Oregon like how was that shift like how did they approach the game differently um, and how was the tradition and culture different
2: yeah that's man that's that's a crazy question cuz kind of like uh, you know all three or four of those schools were almost like almost total polar opposites like at Sarah I was running the wing T you know I I got I really got good at running the option at Sarah just because that was our main offense our head coach was uh you know the first running back on the uh on the De La Salle's first undefeated team. So he brought all the Veer stuff over. So he had a lot of insight on that. And I remember learning and and watching a lot of of film with him just on the Veer option alone and just counting the box. He got me real comfortable just counting the box as far as the run game goes. And then when I went to St. Louis, it was almost the opposite, man. I I went over there the first week. I felt like my arm was going to fall off after the first day of throwing. (laughs) It was – I mean, we didn't do – we probably handed the ball off in season queues in the beginning of the practice. That was it, man. It was, it was pretty wild. It was, it was really the, it wasn't the true run and shoot, but we were basically running the run and shoot over there. And, um, and then when I came to city, it was, uh, I kind of got the best of both worlds as far as like a West coast offense, which uh, coach Hayes up there pretty much built over there. A lot of like, uh, Bill Walsh stuff, but what also helped me was Nick Rolovich, um, who played for June Jones, ran the run and shoot at UH. He was my quarterback coach at City College, and he basically installed, um, you know, the basic principles of the, of the run and shoot, whether it be, um, you know, choice, go, um, just those those go, uh, just a couple of different, like, four or five basic principle run and shoot plays. And that really accounted for, like, so many yards, you know, versus these these junior college defenses that, really never seen it like that or executed at that level because I was lucky I got a lot of – I pretty much had three returning receivers and and another receiver that was, you know, bombing. He ran like a 4-3. You know, they all were pretty smart and and caught on to it pretty quickly. Um, And then as far as Oregon, that was was a tough one. You know, I look back in my Oregon days and, you know, as fun as those days were, I always remember – you know, me and the other quarterbacks in the quarterback meeting room being like, you know, as cool as running the option is. And, you know, we came here to have fun and all that stuff and to win. We're like, where's our passing game? You know, we didn't really have like a mm. sophisticated passing game. It was it was more so, you know, we would make a lot of – we would eat a lot off the play action. Um, but just, you know, like double post from the backside, it wasn't nothing really crazy or drawn up. So, um I know the other quarterback that came in with me, Darren Thomas, was, you know, used to throwing the ball every down in high school. And uh, so me and him were kind of like just a little shell-shocked at the fact that, man, we're really good, um, you know, Chip Kelly's games as far as running the ball were, you know, one of a kind at the time. And then – but when it came to the passing game, we were just doing all this basic stuff that you're basically doing in Pop Warner, you know. But, I mean, we were getting away with it, so I, I understood why we didn't have to change it. but. Um, just, just as a quarterback, you know what I'm saying. We, we'd rather throw the ball 50 times a game if we could. So,
1: and their big boys trying to come and hammer you too. That you know, like if you throw the ball, they can't come hit you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I
0: want, I want to dive into a little bit of life, uh, life off the field with with those transitions that you went through. I mean, you're talking about living it, playing ball in the peninsula. I'm talking about playing ball in the city. I'm talking about playing ball out in Hawaii talking about playing ball out in Oregon, right? Those are four pretty distinct places, right? But the common thread through all of those was football. Did you feel like it was hard to transition to living in all those different areas or, or did football help that a lot for you?
2: Um, I think I was kind of primed for it growing up just because I would, uh, man, me and my, my parents would throw me and my brother on a plane to, uh, to Samoa, just just me and him. So, you know what I mean. We'd be in Hawaii for a day or two, and then and be in Samoa in the islands for the whole summer. So, I kind of got used to traveling and like being on my own a little bit when I was younger. But um, yeah, I think those places weren't as as uh, difficult for me as maybe like Mississippi was. And I, you know, I graduated from from Ole Miss too. I went to excuse me. I didn't graduate from Ole Miss. I was in their grad program, but I was at Ole Miss my senior year in 2010. And, and that was definitely, you know, like my first time really spending some time in the, in the South. And um, it's definitely different obviously than the Bay area. And uh, it it was good. I, I, I like the, you know, the vibe out there, but it was just, uh, it was so far from home. It was kind of like my first time being that far um, ahead of the time zone and um, you know, just the culture out there, there, there weren't, Anybody out there that kind of looked like me at all? Was, you know, but there were a lot of good people, obviously, that took care of me out there. I just, uh, it was just tough being on my own at that time.
1: What's one thing that? Because I think that old Miss thing is super fascinating in terms of like the South, because I haven't spent as much time in the South. I mean, besides visiting and getting out of there. But like, what would you say one thing that you've taken from that? Like, either even it's a phrase or a term or some some sort of culture element that you like carried on from the South or from Hawaii or from anything really that like, and I, I'll use it. uh Let me see if I can come up with an example for myself too. Like, okay, so here in Miami, when I was in Miami, I learned that there was like a new way to play dominoes. I had no idea that there was another dominoes game, but there's this whole world of like West Coast dominoes is bones is up to six. And then in Miami, they go up to like, I don't know, it's like freaking 15 dots on the little dominoes. And that was something, like, I've held with, like, I never would have got that if I hadn't played for the Dolphins. You know what I'm saying? And I got to walk down into, like, you know, into downtown Miami and see these old folks playing dominoes. I don't know if there's something like that that, that kind of stuck with you and kind of, or a term or, a, you know, I, I could say language or anything that I brought back, but that was something that always just stuck with me.
2: Yeah. I got a couple. Um you know, just come coming from Hawaii, just being stuck out there for so long, hanging around all the locals. You know, you kind of you kind of pick up the pigeon accent a little bit. You know, mm. so I ha- I had a little bit when I came back from Hawaii, and uh, all my cousins from the city were letting me have it, man. Like <laughs> just making fun of me. You know, in a, in a good way. But that was uh that was something I always be able to you know just just strike up some some pigeon right on the spot when I be talking to my my brothers from St. Louis, but. Uh, I think I think the the big one for me from from Ole Miss was um, like the on the field stuff like the SEC man like just that experience alone traveling being able to play at the Tennessee uh, stadium Alabama stadium like it was it was crazy I was I was definitely uh, you know you hear about it you hear about how uh, how important it is to everybody out there but it, it's it's a they take it to that next level you know. It's kind of like um, how Texas high school football is. You know, if you know a lot about high school football, like they're just at a different level with their care and, and what they – the resources they put into that. So that it kind of reminded me of that as far as just the SEC and their whole football culture as a whole.
0: Man, and that goes back to what you were talking a little bit about legacy. I me mean, about like walking around Sarah High School or – or, or City College or, I mean, every place you've been is a place has a lot, of, a lot of legacy and a lot of history to it. And I think, I mean, I haven't shared a whole ton of my story with you yet, but um, you know, Mac and I played together with the, with the Sabercats back in 2011. And then he, you know, went on the NFL from there. I spent another year and then I was done. I decided it was time for me to walk away from the game. I just wasn't getting where I was going to go. Um, but that was such a hard thing to do was to let go of like all of the connection to heritage, the history, the culture of every program, big or small, that I was a part of, right? I went to Willamette university, actually just North, of just North of Ukraine, up there in Salem, um, and played there. I mean, that's the the oldest university West of the Mississippi. And there was a part of that history that I really liked, you know, that football team had played, um, they played the university of Hawaii, uh, back right at the start you know, World War II. Um, yeah. And do you know that history? Do you know about that? Yeah, dude.
2: Yeah, man. That's crazy.
0: Yeah, so that was – so Willamette University – of Mexico, you know the story?
2: I had
1: no idea.
0: So, University of Hawaii and Willamette University play a football game, and this is early December, right before bombing of Pearl Harbor, right? After the game – I know it from the Willamette side of, side of things, so so might probably know it from, uh, from the Hawaii side of things, but – Willamette was still out there and there was no plane to, there's no like a, you know charter plane or anything to fly back to the state. So they would, they would do it by boat. So they're hanging out, waiting for the boat, which is when Pearl Harbor was attacked. No way. And, the, and both football teams were actually you know, enlisted basically on the spot. And were. Uh, I know the Willamette team was in charge of guarding a lot of the, a lot of the barracks um, oh. where they had munitions and supplies and whatnot. While war was going on. Like, they were there
2: for it. I don't know. Like, what's the – Wow. What's the, what's the Hawaii set of things on that one? Well, um, I heard about it through June Jones. Um, so, I'm I'm trying to paraphrase the story that he told us. But I want to say the San Jose State team was down there too because back in those days they, they just flew out like a week early yeah. or something like that. There was some reason for – I want to say there was three teams that were all in that same boat. And, yeah, they had a – Basically, they were done with this. They didn't even know it, but they played their last game, and they were about to go, you know, wherever they had to go for their next game. And in the next couple of days, that that bombing happened, and they were all college career over. You know, it was crazy.
1: That's right. yeah. That's anyway. There's a culmination of sports, and we're in the same situation. We're gonna. We're, what kind of history is gonna come out of this pandemic? Right, uh, right.
0: But anyway, to, not to get too side with that story, which is a very interesting story. ESPN actually did a spot on that at one point when I was making the decision of where I wanted to go and it was part of that legacy. I was like, I think I want to go there, right? There's history, there's culture there. Awesome. So when I when I left, you know, I haven't been a part of you know high competitive sports since I was 25, and I'm 32 now, and and it was hard. Like it's it's a it was a really really hard transition. Um, for me to walk away to walk away from the game it's 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 a question of identity it's a question of purpose it's a question of like where do your friends come from on a daily basis right you're used, you're so used to walking into a locker room and seeing all your boys and going to work working towards a common goal together constantly around the clock and then all of a sudden like it's gone it's it's pretty wild but I, you know, from there, I, I ended up deciding to travel a lot, and I, you know, traveled all over, played, you know, soccer in Zambia and South America, whitewater rafted, you know, yeah. the continents of snowboard all over the place, and just kind of chasing and pursuing this, this soul and this power and this ethos of sport. and, and What is it that that makes it so interesting? What it makes makes it so compelling? What is it that we like fall in love with so deeply? And, and what is it that that allows for so much good in the world to happen through it. Uh, so anyway, that's just a little bit of my story. But I, you mentioned, you know, traveling uh, to and from Samoa with uh, with your brother. Uh, when did – you were you born in the Bay?
2: Yeah. You I born I, in the Bay? Let's go. It was uh, – my dad was born in Hawaii, but um, it was his parents that were originally from Samoa. So my dad was the first generation that was really – brought up in, in the States. Are you still going back on any frequency to some Uh I haven't been back in a in a while, but um I I I was going a lot before right before like my last couple of years at or my last year at Oregon, I think was the before that I was going pretty regularly. And then um obviously I was just busy with uh, sports this season. No
0: you and Mac were over there. I mean, t- talk a little bit about what you guys were doing over there when you guys took a trip out to to Samoa.
2: I'm not gonna do it justice. With, justice with words. It was it was a crazy experience, man. Like life changing for sure. Something I'll never forget. A feeling that uh, I can't even <laughs> I can't even describe. Um, it was it was amazing, man. I mean, first first off, talk about the idea and everything behind it, like you know, I knew when I was going there growing up, you know what I mean? I always had those aspirations to be great, you know, to be a, a NFL player and whatnot. And I always seen what, <clears throat> you know, what like my family and where we came from and how kind of ba- how bad they had it. And they didn't really have access to the same things that we kind of took for granted in the States. So, you know, I was just like, I just want to give back if if I'm ever able to. And um, I always had that, that seed in my heart and, um, you know, I, my heart was always, you know, for my people, too, and especially I just had a real strong connection with, like, my grandma and uh, both, both sides of my family that live out there, a super strong connection with them. So, you know, when I, when I was thinking about it and, you know, years passed, I didn't really do anything um, because, you know, in early in my career, I didn't – my professional career, I wasn't really, uh, you know, starting or a high-profile kind of guy. Kind of had to work my way to where I was at right now, um, so I kind of you know I wanted to at least do something before I went back over there to to see the, the people and um, um, so um, I, I I had some success. I was like I was like right. and, and do it do it and uh, and uh, I got inspiration. I got inspiration. He was telling me about uh, his trips to El Salvador, and um, you know it was it was just contagious as far as when he was talking about his time out there and uh, how easy he just said, you know, you just got to do it. You know what I mean? So um, I just asked him to help me. And from that, it kind of evolved to to what it turned into. And it turned into a pretty beautiful thing with, with the awesome team. And um, it was, it was intense. It was intense. Definitely (laughs) dive into it if you want to. we We don't
1: have to, but we can, but like, I just want to paint that like Maya's being very bashful in this situation, and and I think that I was honored to be a part of that situation. I was honored to be asked, and um, I, what what's what's powerful about that, I think, is the intention and the intent and the focus that Jeremiah went into it, and then also the reception that he received uh, on the island of Samoa. And the third thing I throw in there is just the pure magic and uh, whatever's in the water there is really special. Um, it was. It was truly. It was a, a religious. It was a spiritual. It was a, a, an, ex, an amazing journey into the into the, the onto the island of Samoa. It is a magical place with people that are full of love that will absolutely. You can't even put it into words. Like that's the reason why I'm stuttering. That's, I kind of reiterated what Jeremiah said. The love and the passion and the history that's there on that island are are pretty. Undescri- indescribable, but I think what was most—I will go back to my first two points—is that the reception that Jeremiah received. Um, we visited every single high school on the on the island, and they opened their doors to us, and they gave us, you know, a, a, an environment for us to interact with with the football team, with students. Um, we did a, a poetry my, my friend Brandon Santiago and Ter- Teresa Siangatono are two uh, amazing poets that provided kind of another side to sport so we did football and training but we also got into the classroom and we did we did poetry um, and we we did writing skills and we tried to connect these two words of language and football um, and we put them in the same space and saw what was happening and, and what came out of it was just first of all the unbelievably talented youth of Samoa. And then the love, man, like the, the uh, Jeremiah's ability to to enter a space and to have an idea and to engage with kids on the football field in an athletic endeavor, and then go into the classroom and open a space for them to talk about themselves and for Jeremiah to talk about himself. And to just open a space of love is why I come back to, the, to those. What made that journey special and possible is the intention that Jeremiah went into it. Literally, he created a space he created an avenue with like a purity of, of quest to enter to the island. And then the reception on the flip side from these kids, um, the stories are endless in terms of the powerful experiences we had. These kids wrote poems. They were brought to tears. They brought us to tears. Um, the, 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 the fields, just the pure view of the fields. I mean, these kids are playing on some of the most beautiful football fields in the, in the world, overlooking the ocean. At the same time, they're playing on fields that literally have boulders, like like fist size rocks that you can land on. You know what I'm saying? In helmets that aren't don't have enough pads in them, and in the passion that that comes out of that, um, it was truly a magical journey. But I I definitely wanted to jump in there just to reiterate like Jeremiah's humbleness in terms of like his intention and his process to get into it, and then the amazing reception of the Samoan people and. and I mean, what, what Troy is old, really the only other Troy Palamu is really the only one ever to do that. Um, it was a powerful, powerful journey.
2: Yeah. Let me, let me, let me, let me say something, man. Cause you just got me going a little bit. Um, there was, there was, they had some crazy fields and, and you're right, man, the youth over there was crazy talented. Like, like I was scared of how talented they were. Honestly, I was scared. That's how talented they were. And like, one school had to walk like what, like two two miles or something like that down the road just to get to their practice field. Carry all their yeah, stuff right in the
1: car, and they literally two miles. They're walking to practice.
2: Like, but they normal. Every, you know what I mean? every day, and um, you know, a lot of kids. Some kids didn't even have cleats or you know whatever, but they all went out there and, and, and put their heart out and, and did it. So that was amazing. But the the school side of it was kind of the thing that shocked me the most because. I mean, I know I think we were in different classrooms most of the time, but it was almost like 70% of the time we were just in tears um, just because of these kids' poems and how deep they were able to go and kind of express how they felt. And that was part of it, too. We were kind of attacking it from the cultural angle of, you know, a lot of times the kids out there don't have a safe space to kind of express themselves just because of their role in the uh, society over there. So, you know, it was good to let them kind of let some steam off. But there was this one time, man, when um we were at Samoana and it was super hot outside. You know, they had a really good team, a lot of athletes, and, and Mac was running all the uh the drills, right? All the warm-up drills. And um I just look over there, Mac's over there just teaching him how to form run or whatever, and just my man's just bleeding out his just he's going so hard, he's he he got a nosebleed, man. That's how hard <laughs> And I was like, I remember I was walking around like, man, his blood was on the on the, uh, you know, their basketball gym, which is which is cement, right? Their their whole basketball gym is cement. I was like oh, my, my man's blood is here forever, man. Blood, sweat, and tears forever.
0: That was cool, man. Man, that sounds so much, so similar to like the first trip that Mac and I took down to El Salvador. Like the first time we went down there. Uh, well, I'd been living down in Costa Rica, and Matt came down and visited me, but then also visited some of his family in El Salvador. And we started talking um, just after playing. We were, dude, we had one day where we played soccer with the kids in the school. Remember the school? We, we went and played soccer, and there was like there was actually sewage that was kind of running right like by the soccer court down in Costa Rica where we were playing. Uh, we played there for a while. Then we went and played a pickup baseball game in the National Baseball Stadium that night. And then like, I think we got a training session in that day as well um, at our training facility. And then you and I started talking, we started talking, we're like, man, like there is something, there's something powerful about what sport is, right? And we just had this whole pie in the sky conversation. And he talked about what some of his family was involved with uh, in El Salvador. And we're like, man, so, and he was telling me, he's like, you know, there's an organization that his auntie was connected to that we could, we could partner with and help rebuild a couple schools in El Salvador. And then, you know, we could kind of leverage the whole, the whole football, American sports thing as well um, to sort of bring kids together and find a connection with the kids. So we like we went and took over PE for a couple of days, but it was a lot of the same, a lot of the same stories where kids are walking two, three miles, you know, to school uh, each way. A lot of times the roads are getting washed out. They're basically having to walk across like streams and, and, and rivers just to make it to school each day. And you get there and you start playing soccer with them, and you just, like, you can't stop. Like, we would just play for hours and hours and hours, and you just can't stop. Like, there was just so much love for it there. And, it, like, it's giving me chills. Like, listen, you guys talk about being in Samoa, and I can just – I can picture it just a little – I've never been there, but I can just picture, like, running around with the kids. Believe me, I can picture Max nose bleeding, and everything running around with them doing that thing. Like, it is such a good thing, like, what y'all, what y'all are involved with. I want to go – I want to dive a little bit into the poetry aspect of what you guys were doing, connecting like this creative writing and the self-expression for men and football. What, what did you guys learn about the kids down there when you were there? What does football mean to them?
2: Yeah. I mean, um, we, we, we did, you know, a lot of it was the athletes and a lot of it was just the, the regular student uh that that didn't play any sports too that did a lot of the pumps so we had um but football wise I know you know there's a lot of kids that really you know getting off the island there's only a couple ways right it's either kind of football or military um just just you know stereotypically speaking for the island like you're only going to leave in, in an army uniform or something like that or, or on a football scholarship so uh that that's how important it is for them kids and, I kind of seen that you know you kind of feel some of the desperation from some of the kids that weren't really getting any attention from colleges you know they were you could kind of see like or, or even hear it in their voice like you know because you know I would ask them if they need any help you know I know some people that I've played with become coaches at you know D2 colleges or even D3 colleges and so I try to connect some of them but You know, I I could relate to them, too, because that was me coming out of high school. You know, I didn't I didn't have any scholarships and uh, I knew I loved the game and I still wanted to pursue it. So really, my only option was to try to go the Juco route. Luckily, I live right down the street from a great one, but not everybody's that lucky. And, um, you know, so my heart went out to, you know, there's a lot of like undersized linemen that were asking me, like, you know, I I just need a chance. I want to, you know, my parents can't pay for school. You know, and you know, I know a lot of times in our culture, too, the story is if, you know, you don't get off the island, you're kind of either just getting a job or, or taking care of the house and, and the parents. So, I you know, there were stories even of um, kids not being allowed to even join the military because, you know, they're the youngest kid and they're the last one to take care of the family or the parents, you know. So it was just, it was, it was awesome. As awesome as it was, it was a little... Tough and heartbreaking to hear some of the stories too that the kids were struggling with, um, but the poetry side too. I mean, you know, even myself, I learned and and was reminded how powerful writing can can be and as a tool to to service, um, you know, to help us heal spiritually and emotionally from a lot of stuff that that was going on out there. and There was a lot of a lot of stuff going on that that kind of surprised us that the kids even opened up to tell us. Um, you know I won't say any specifics but there's a there's definitely a lot of struggle going on um, we we're just glad that like Max said we were like giving the space
1: yeah just to, to piggyback on that just the humbling experience like we I, I do say the beauty and I say the magic but these kids are are creating out of out of not much you know what I'm saying they're they're really creating out of the will to be great and um that's that journey is, is not an easy one for those kids in any stretch of the imagination. And something that like, I wish I was at a a better place in my life at that time to have, have had the deeper conversation with the football players that I think I'm having with myself right now. Cause I think what, what Brandon and Teresa did in the classroom in terms of like identifying um, the, the kids, creating a space for them to speak their true words. Um, I feel like, I I wasn't at a place in my life that I had that same perception about football. And I wish we could have done that on the field. And so it's something that, that, that a lot of, you know, Scott have talked about, we've talked about on previous podcasts about that identity of sport and how can sport give you better um, introspection as to who you are as a person. And so like, like, and we'll come back to you at this, with this question too. I think this last year was really difficult for you and I'll I'll explain the circumstances before. I don't want to, you you know without a lurch without addressing how powerful these kids were um these these high school students that were on the field ex- exploring their life and, and living big dreams but they're chasing a future self like I want to use football to get me to college and that's not a bad thing but that that external goal beyond yourself can be really torturous if you never reach that level for yourself and coming off this last season that you had it, and I don't want to delve into anything you've you've you don't want to, but you built a franchise in so many ways in the Hamilton Tiger Cats that were on hard times, and you played with very little help for multiple years, making plays across the entire field, building this program back to a place where it now was it is the preeminent power in the East, and then to receive an injury. So I guess my question is, like, was there something that the that the game Informed you about yourself, even in your, you know, what is this year nine ten for you professionally? Did you learn something new about yourself through the game this last year?
2: Um, yeah, man, I, it it was definitely a struggle. First off, I mean, obviously, nobody wants to, you know, suffer a, a season-ending injury so early in the season, but um, just just internally, you know, that internal conflict of like just your ego kind of creeping in and, and making you doubt yourself here and there just because you're looking at your knee and it's not doing what it's supposed to do. And it feels horrible or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm locked up just in bed for, you know, two weeks, you know, no, nobody told me how hard it would be to go number two, uh, right after the surgery, you know, mm. just, <laughs> little things like that man right. you know what I mean and, um, the little
0: things we take for granted
2: <laughs> man it was crazy you know so I mean just away from football I kind of you know got a little lesson in humility just off of that but um like you know I, I'm still dealing with two to this day I don't think you know just as competitive as a person as I am honestly I don't think like you like you just said setting up those external goals like I don't think I'll ever get over it until I have a great game or, you know what I mean, until I, till the next thing I'm able to accomplish with, with my team, you know. So I just know that um, I've been playing the game a long time and this break from it definitely kind of reassured me how much I still do love this game, you know, because it, it was a struggle watching it from the side and, and not being able to directly help and and just seeing and you know at the same time like we had a great team like we were stacked you know what I mean in the quarterback room so I knew we were gonna go a long way and we ended up almost winning the whole thing so that was even a little tough I mean it was it was like bittersweet you know all at the same time you know I was super happy for for our organization because we we deserved it we deserved to be there and all that but it was tough not not to be able to be out there and help them and, and contribute in the way that I know that I can. Um, but like I said, I think just the journey that I've been on and everything that I've been through in my life, my life personally, I know that this wasn't the worst thing that I've been through. So, you know, if, if I ever got down, I would just kind of remind myself about that and uh, I'd be able to push through it. And, you know, it's it's been tough. You know, there's definitely been days and multiple days in a row where it's just like, and I don't want to have to deal with this anymore or go through it. Um, but like I said, I mean, uh, another big way, you know, another part of me that I don't really talk about in the public as much is just my family, you know, from my wife and, you know, my son and my daughter that she gave me like that, um, that alone in itself is, is enough to, to keep me pushing and, and pursuing, you know, greatness in the way that I've learned to, I've learned as of, of what that is. Um, all the great coaches and players that I've been around i want
0: mean, <clears throat> I want to pivot just a little bit you you mentioned the word greatness and um, you know I, I think being around football a bit it's pretty impossible to notice how many Samoans there are playing the game at a very high level college and pro I mean in this in the state of Samoa, formerly Western Samoa, there's a population of 196,000 people. American Samoa, there's only 55,000 people. And, you know, talk about legacy along with yourself. I mean, you get Troy Polamalu, Marcus Mariota, late Junior Seau, Tuatagavua, you know, Mani Chow, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Mike body. I mean, there's the list kind of goes on and
2: on and on
0: with such a small population coming out of Samoa, how
2: is that possible? Um, You know, I think, I think we are kind of, you know, without knowing it, we are like being bred for football throughout the years, just with the, honestly, like the tarot farming and, and all that stuff. If, if, you know, back in the day, if you weren't inside saying your prayers or whatever, you were, you were basically farming the whole land, you know what I mean, the whole village. So, and, and that, that took a lot. It was physically demanding, you know what I mean? I, I look at some of the throwback pictures of, of Samoans from, from the islands back in the days. And it's like, they were just super fit. You know what I mean? Like 0% body fat, the whole nine yards. But um, I know our culture and, you know, just the family dynamic within our culture, it kind of sets us up to be, uh, you know, a, a, a model teammate. You know what I mean? In the sense that, you know, we'll get, we'll lay it all on the line for our family. Same thing for football. You know what I mean? We'll, we want to win just as bad as everybody else and we'll lay it on the line. So that mentality, you know, cope with, um, you know, a lot of the physical attributes that a lot of the, um, a lot of the losses are, are able to have, you know what I mean? It's not like I'm, I'm six, four, six. six. A lot of these guys are huge, man. And, and been blessed with that size and, and been able to actually, um, execute great careers off of it. So, um, I know one guy for me, like, when I was growing up was was Marcus Tuasasopo. He was kind of somebody um, that inspired, like you were saying, Mac, you know, Dr. J, or just culturally, like, I never seen a Samoan quarterback, and I seen one in a Raiders uniform, you know what I mean, right across the bay. And uh, for me, that was huge. You know, I'll never forget that, uh, that moment seeing him, and that was
1: inspiring for me. I almost, I almost, he's not an ancestor yet, so I couldn't involve him. But I wanted to do Jack Thompson, the throwing Samoa, because that was a dude that, like, that. And, and on the same token, I want to kind of reiterate exactly what you said. Like, when I was at Balboa, uh, maybe 60, 70% of our team was Samoans. Um, and I felt like, like, like I said, that tradition, like, who I am is a Balboa Buccaneer in the football realm. And that was because of that family element. Like, I was adopted by that team. And, and that's the way, like, if you've ever been in space with Samoa, what makes that island so special, it, it, it's, it resides in the people that come from there, um, they're the most loving, kind, caring, generous people you could ever come across, and I feel like so fortunate that I went to Balboa at that time, and I was introduced to the game of football, at the same time I was introduced to the Samoan people, because it, it enlightened me as to how you're supposed to approach a team, and that's like family, and you said it, and just reiterate exactly on top of that, and um, they, are, my last name is Bethel Thompson and Jack Thompson, you know, so I, I even had like, oh, that's, you know, that's the other Thompson. That's the Palangi Thompson. You know what I'm saying? So yep. that just was a family, though. Like, it was a, a complete inculcation. And um, that is – it. that's what the power of sport has is that – and that's what the small people have is that identity of family. And I think that's unique and a special thing that is embedded in the game of football and embedded <laughs> in sports at large.
2: Yeah, no doubt, man. I actually got to meet Jack Thompson, man, a couple of times. He was super down to earth, man. Super cool, man. I love that. I'd love to meet him. I mean,
0: what, what what's next for you? I mean, right now we're we're in this lockdown and you're you're working on getting yourself back to 100 percent Um, you know, hopefully there's gonna be some sort of CFL season, but at this point everything's pretty unsure. Um, you know, what what's next for you? What are you doing to prepare? What are you thinking about um with your trajectory over the next couple
2: of years? Uh, definitely, you know, still want to be playing at a high level, and I, you know, honestly, just I just want to win some championships. Um, that's kind of like the the end goal. That's that's just one thing I haven't been able to do yet. So, just want to win some championships, man, before before I hang them up, uh, whenever that is. But you know, I'll be working on that and um, trying to trying to see what the transition is after that. I know um, I know the predicament we're in right now. Um, you know, it makes you second guess a lot of stuff, a lot of careers, like even coaching-wise, you know what I mean? I know I know some people that were about to start coaching this next year um, at some pretty good programs, and, you know, they don't even know if they're going to be playing this, this upcoming season. So just, just a lot of what-ifs, just like everybody else is facing as far as, um, you know, what are we going to do when this all kind of gets back to whatever the new normal is. Um, just because, you know, for me, it's just a little different. The butt I'm in is that, you know, I just started a family. You know, my son's three. He's about to turn four. So pretty soon, you know, we want to really be able to settle down and, and find, you know, some schools for, for him and my daughter. And, and that's really, you know, what what's on the horizon for us as far as the next three to four years.
1: I, w- I want to hit that one point in terms of legacy. You talked about keep on playing. And I, and I want – this is something that I'm kind of been – Thinking about lately, and it's where we met, which was 2011 with the, the 2011 with the San Francisco 49ers. And I've been trying to understand—you know—you have time to sit down, and you kind of think about your journey. And i have been trying to like, what is my identity as a football player? Because I've had the most ridiculous, stupid, ridiculous, retarded journey. Retarded shouldn't, shouldn't say that word. Ridiculous journey uh, through the game of football. And but I look back at that time, and I've have I've had trouble like owning that time in my life you know like I grew up a huge Niners fan you know what I'm saying the 1994 Super Bowl with Steve Young and Jerry Rice was like man I remember freaking out at that game you know what I'm saying like that was it was one of the craziest and then getting to the Niners and meeting you with the 49ers in 2011 um and my dad come into training camp and you know he kind of my dad's not an emotional guy he's he's pretty standard you know he's he's kind of a gruff kind of dude And but he kind of was like looking at me for all like, what's up pops He's like, man, I remember you wearing that same outfit when you were six <laughs> in plastic version, you know what I'm saying? And like, and then like, I've never kind of let that sunk in. And so my question is like my identity as as a football player, like I never felt like I belonged with the Niners at that time. You know, I was with them twice and cut three times. You know what I'm saying? I didn't feel like that. I could own that because I didn't feel like I was a starter. You know, I wasn't in caps position. I wasn't the starter. I wasn't the player but that's as much of my identity and that's as much of my legacy as anything and as i what makes me think about it and be okay accepting it is that i have the ability to pass that on and i don't have to take that on for me but i can take that on to give that to a kid to tell him that story and to, to impart it on somebody else and so i just wonder like what what part of your legacy do you want to leave on and i know you're going to do it for many many years beyond this but like i know that's a very esoteric question but maybe a legacy story that you don't necessarily respect yourself for, but that you could reveal to us today.
2: Yeah, no, found, shoot, man, that's, first of all, thanks for sharing that. That's awesome. Like, I know that's uh not the easiest to, to, to get through, to get to that point there that you're saying. Cause I, you know, I think we all kind of go through that in sports Um, just as far as, you know, it's being competitive and, and confident in ourselves. Like you, you might not see yourself as identifying with that part, but, there's a whole bunch of other people that fell off right before that point that identify you with that. You know what I mean? And they're looking up to that. So uh, there's two sides to look at it. You know what I mean? But um, first off that it was, uh, you know, one good thing about going to the Niners, cause I got cut quick, you know, and I didn't really get to spend as much time there. And, you know, you you were able to spend time with, with a bunch of great coaches. Um, But you know, I was just glad I got to meet you, man, because, I I, you know, we talked um, when we first had our, you know, first kind of conversation and all that stuff, but I don't think – I think I did tell you this, but even when I was younger in high school, when you was at man, you was ripping it up, and, you know, my dad would always uh, bring some kind of sports story home to kind of, you know, prove a point or, or show me. But, you know, he'd always make sure he, he'd have your stats on the table, man, and, you know, he'd always – be like, look, look at that. You know what I mean? Meanwhile, I'm over at Sarah running the wing tee, you know, running for like 50 yards, you know. <laughs> I don't get to throw
1: the ball three times. How the
2: hell can I, <laughs> how the hell can I get I, yards? <laughs> right. You know, so. Um, but now back to the question as far as like myself and legacy-wise. Um, man, I've I just been I, – I, I honestly just thinking about it now off the top of my head. I've just been through a lot as far as, um, you know, getting in trouble or uh, not making the best decisions for myself, not making the best, um, uh, you know, choices as far as who or where I'm hanging out at. And I know in the big scheme of things, um, when I do get to kind of let go, because as far as an active player right now, I personally feel like we don't have to identify with that part of, I don't want to own up to that because, I'm still playing, you know what I mean? I still, we still have stuff to prove, you know what I mean? It's not to anybody else, it's just to ourselves. So after I'm done, I definitely want to be able to take a deep breath and, you know, let all that stuff kind of go. But um, in the big scheme of things, I think when I do start reaching back out and and really be able to help the youth as far as like coaching one-on-one or, being in kids lives for you know extended period of time is just their identity and who they are you know who they want to be as a person because you know coming up I, I may have got, got caught up and that's what led to those choices so I want to make sure that I pass on that you know just be yourself and that's okay and, and you know just do the right thing and on top of that all those bad decisions I made like there, you there's still hope for yourself like you can still come out of whatever it is you know and I know a lot of my stuff is lightweight compared to a lot of other people. So um, I know for a lot of the kids that I'll be in contact with, they'll be going through struggles that that might be 10 times worse than than I ever had. So I just want to pass that hope along and, and show them that, look, if I could do it, you know, you could do it. I know it's so cliche, but it's the truth and that's why they say it. Hmm.
0: Well, Well, I think that, I think that's such a beautiful example. I think it's so easy to, to read stuff that happens, read it in the news or see it on TV or whatever, and just like forget the humanity behind the people that are involved with something. You, you never, ever really know a full story of what's going on internally with somebody, externally, whatever. And so that is like, it's such an amazing opportunity that I, I really want to commend you for. for for just showing kids love regardless of what stupid decisions they may have made or what circumstances they're in. is just so important for everybody no matter what at some point in their lives to just, like, feel that love regardless from somebody. That's, that's amazing stuff, man. Just one last question for you guys. I mean, you, got, you guys play on teams that are super close to each other again. I mean, Toronto and Hamilton, how far a drive is that, 45 minutes, depending on traffic? Yeah. 45 minutes to yeah. turn on traffic. So you guys are now grown up in the Bay, knew each other from the Bay, we were in camp together in 2011 with the Niners, and then you end up playing against each other 45 minutes apart, basically crosstown rivals in a sense, in the CFL, in a different
2: league, different field.
0: What's that like for you guys?
2: <laughs> it's tight, man. I, uh, I love it, man. I'm so proud of Mac. Honestly, I don't even want to <laughs> say it like that, but, you know, like, it, uh, you know, a lot of us that know Mac are, are super proud of him and know how hard he's worked to get where he's at, obviously, and just to see uh, him come up and, you know, I was obviously in the CFL already, and um, when I kind of heard that he might be coming up, I was like, oh, I don't know if you remember, I told him he's, he's going to kill it, you know, and uh, he got his opportunity, and he did, and, it, it's almost, it's a little surreal. I mean, we did a freaking um, a TV interview together, you know, they, they interviewed both of us together. Um, just based on that, you know, our relationship. So I, it's, for me, it's super cool. I love it. And I love being able to represent, you know, our area and, and, and still play the game that we love together, you know.
1: I I'm I same token. I want to reiterate how much I love it. And and we've had different experiences. I we've also played together in the UFL, the now defunct UFL. I was with the Sacramento Mountain Lions, who was with the Ottawa Nighthawks, and we played in uh in uh, in Omaha. The Omaha Nighthawks, right? Yeah. In yeah. Omaha, we played a game against each other in the UFL too, which I think was dope. Uh but I think we've had different careers too and different journeys. And and Maya's experience in the CFL, he was up there earlier. And he went through trials earlier, but he's at the peak. I mean, he's at the pinnacle, and, and I'm looking forward to the opportunity. I've been punched in the mouth for the last two years, three years, really, since I've been up in the CFL in so many different ways. It's been a trial by fire. Um, I'm looking for the opportunity to you know have the reins and for us to really to do battle because I know what type of competitor Maya is, and I know how how you know how cooperative we are and how how much we get on and like each other genuinely. But I'm excited to really go battle with him too which is another space that we both experienced I mean we've we've shot hoops together and we've we've done this stuff but to really be on a field against him we haven't had that much time on the field at the same time because I've been on and off the roster I mean on and off the field and on you know up and down and all the way around and Maya was hurt this last year so it hasn't kind of timed up we've played a couple of times against each other but to really kind of square off and do battle like three times a year um, I'm really looking forward to it, and you know, to start some of that city shit talking. Really, is what it's really about. You know, what I'm saying? really have that vibe. I think it's something that I'm looking forward to in the future.
2: No, for real, man. I'm. I can't wait. I'm. I'm gonna just say it. You already know. We we gonna be going touchdown for touchdown like every game we play, man. I can't wait. Yes, sir. I,
0: I can't wait to watch. Hopefully, in stands. <laughs> No man, I, I I've absolutely loved today's conversation. And and uh and I just want to wrap up by saying uh, you know, you guys both touched on legacy. And I mean, with both the work that you guys did with with your trip to to Samoa, um, with, with the way that both you guys represent the Bay Area and the way that you guys are just such incredible ambassadors of uh, of the sport of football, um, such a good such good role models for younger men. Just doing things that are a little bit out of like they're just different. You guys are approaching it in a different way. You're teaching kids poetry. You're you're talking about love. You're talking about being there. You're 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 talking about some really really important things. I think I think that this is in a way a a legacy for you for yourselves that you guys are creating and an example that you're setting for a lot of a lot of people to follow in the footsteps. So keep doing what y'all are doing, and I uh, and I really really do enjoy being a fan and. And uh and and a friend moving
2: forward. I appreciate it, Mo. Thanks, thanks for having me, man. Thank you.